The Future Sport Podcast is brought to you by 3Advance, developers of sports tech apps that are AI-powered and UX-focused. So if you're looking to create some apps for your startup or your sports biz calls for some artificial or business intelligence, you should check out 3Advance. They're incredible. Go to 3Advance.com. That's the number 3Advance.com. Empire. Let's talk about the media before and after a pandemic. Yeah, I think that we wanted to build a really strong foundation uh, and build a platform that hopefully over time could support multiple content. We definitely didn't think that we'd be sitting here you know, eight years later with as many brands and opportunities that we have today. That's Rich Routman, president of Minute Media, as the shutdown offers an opportunity to grab a lot of attention. This is the Future Sport Podcast. I'm Bram Weinstein. Rich Routman's Minute Media has been buying some major properties, including the Players' Tribune, and they're positioned at the top of this new digital landscape. Where things are going, that remains guesswork, but Rich and his team, they've been guessing right often. Later, Alex Silverman from Morning Consult talks about what people are watching right now without sports. But first, the future is now, where a massive audience tuned into a unique NFL draft. So over the weekend, we had live sports, not the kind where there's going to be a score taken unless you're going to put draft grades on what happened with the NFL, but certainly sports as a communal experience was back, but in a very strange way, there was a virtual NFL draft with Roger Goodell making picks from his basement and checking Zoom calls from around the country as picks found out where they would end up. Before the draft happened, Gary Grambling of Sports Illustrated wrote a piece called Zoom Bombs, Bad Passwords, and a Big Target, Why the NFL Draft Season is Ripe to be Hacked. So here we are with the draft over, Gary, and your review of them getting hacked is what? Uh, it, it certainly did the broadcast went off without, uh, without, went off without a hitch, uh, which we kind of suspected. I, I, I had spoken to some folks over to ESPN, and, and their message was kind of, you know, hey, yes, we have some challenges here. There are fewer engineers in the building. We're, we're setting up some of these remote locations with, uh, uh, you know, as limited human interaction as we can do. But, you know, they kind of said the security apparatus for them is in there. 24-7, 365, that's what they do. They gather information and they, uh, uh, they put it out there. What I'll be curious to find out over the next couple of weeks, I know, I know this sounds like a total cop-out answer, but uh, the real risk of hacking was team versus team. Yeah. And, uh, and, and we can get into it a little bit, but, but quite frankly, uh, it is really difficult to get caught if you, <laughs> if you do so. Uh, you really should not get caught unless you trip yourself up or do something stupid. Uh, you shouldn't get caught. What was the specific concern here, team to team, in terms of potentially having uh, internal information stolen? 
So I should say, when I started out on this, I was picturing like, hey, this is a multi-billion dollar business. Of course someone's going to try and uh, get this information, get someone's draft board, uh, hold it hostage, or just hold it up like a trophy. Uh, you know, it'll be just like, a, like an episode of Mr. Robot or something like that. Uh, when I talked to security experts, uh, they tended to say uh, the real risk is going to be, uh, you know, when you're looking within various industries, the risk is always competitors. Uh, sort of going after each other, and then whether it's sneaking onto a conference call or, or uh, you know, uh, so, someone hasn't properly protected their uh, their shared Google Doc, they think it's private and it's not private, stuff like that. Uh, and they said, you know, basically it's it's going to be those competitors, which in this case is the other teams. Uh, and and essentially what you will what you will see is. Uh, because you know, let's let's say hypothetically, uh, and and I have no information on either of these teams being uh, perpetrators or victims. But let's say the Buffalo Bills have decided they're going to hack the uh, the New England Patriots. They want some of that Patriots information. Uh, they don't have to do anything else with that information. They they just gather that information. They're not then trying to find someone to buy it or saying, hey, Patriots, give us uh, you know, I don't know. Uh, eight draft picks or, or we're going to release this to the public or, or anything like that. Uh, they just take that information and now it is it is theirs and that is very valuable to them uh, without having to sort of be that, uh, you know, middleman or, or, or search for that uh, uh, way to monetize it in, in some way. Right. So we're not talking about ransomware. I mean, this is just proprietary information that a competitor would want to know. This happened in baseball a couple of years ago with the Cardinals and the Astros mm-hmm. where some information was taken from one organization from the other. It actually ended up with a prison sentence for, for one of the, um, the people in the scouting departments that were involved in that. Let me ask it this way, though. Why was this particularly different? Obviously, this was an unusual event, and there are all of these differently executives and team executives that are working out of their house instead of a facility. Why did that make that more ripe for the possibility of something like that happening? Uh, the biggest risk of, uh, of being a hacking victim is, is human error. Uh, we saw the Zoom stuff. Uh, Zoom obviously had a lot of... Uh, a lot of security issues to patch up, and they're still, you know, to this day, kind of scrambling to do so. Uh, but when it comes down to it, it is, uh, it, it is, it is user error, and and quite frankly, Zoom kind of plays into that because Zoom is a very simplified, user-friendly platform. Uh, that doesn't necessarily mean it's 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 more, uh, you know, susceptible to hacks. But uh, in this case, it it kind of was. So uh, essentially, you have a bunch of guys around the league. Uh, a lot of us, you know, even if you don't work in tech, you're, you know, if you work at a desk job, you're in front of a screen all day, you're, you're uh, you know, whatever, you're on your phone. Uh, NFL coaches, uh, especially the coaches, I mean, they are out on the field. They're on the grease board. Uh, you know, obviously, they have, they have some interaction with tech. Uh, you know, it's, it's absurd to, to think that they're all, uh, you know, they're, they're all sort of a, hunkered down, writing stuff on pen and paper and that sort of thing. But uh, these are people who are absolutely not tech-savvy in any way. Uh, and, and quite frankly, those, those are the people who are most likely to, to trip up. And even if you go through front offices, I mean, you know, some, some are better than others. But uh, when it comes down to it, and, and again, I'll, 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 just, I'll, I'll pick Belichick as the hypothetical here, uh, let's say Belichick loved, uh, you know, or I, I shouldn't say loved, but really got used to using Zoom, and the Patriots IT department had decided, like, boy, this thing is really susceptible to hacking. This is this is really uh, putting us in a bad spot. 
someone go to Bill Belichick and tell him he's going to have to learn a new program uh, three weeks <laughs> before the draft or whatever it is. And, and Bill Belichick is, is, you know, well, he's a flexible guy. Maybe he's a good sport about it. But uh, there's a very good chance he's going to say, uh, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm not doing that. Go away. And considering he used his dog to make a draft pick in the middle of the draft, I'm going to guess that um, go away was probably the answer he gave. Uh, Gary Grabling from Sports Illustrated, thank you so much for joining us. You got it, Brian. Up next, Rich Routman, president of Minute Media, who will be staying ahead of the curve when sports and mass returns. This is the Future Sport Podcast. Bored in the house, bored at home, bored? Well, here is something you can do. Make yourself feel fresh with our sponsor today, Manscaped. Manscaped promotes clean hygiene when it comes to taking care of that sensitive area thanks to their Lawnmower 3.0. Manscaped, it's the only men's brand dedicated to below-the-waist grooming. The Perfect Package 3.0 kit comes with the new and improved Lawnmower 3.0. It's waterproof, cordless body trimmer, and a ton of other liquid formulations to round out your manscaping routine. Tell you a little bit about the bath and shower gel. Smells amazing. I love that. Subscribe to the perfect package and get your new replacement blade refill for your lawnmower trimmer delivered to your door every three months, making sure your trimmer always stays fresh and clean. And for a limited time, subscribers get not one but two free gifts the Shed Travel Bag, which is a $39 value, and a patented high performance anti chafing Manscaped Boxer Brief. This is the perfect package for your perfect package. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code FUTURE at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with the code FUTURE at manscaped.com. 20% off free shipping at manscaped.com. Use the code FUTURE. Our guest this week is the president of Minute Media, Rich Routman. They have done a number of acquisitions. They are one of the leading platforms in sports content and digital technology. Hey, Rich, how are you? Thanks for joining us. Hey, how you doing? Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Hey, I'll get into all the acquisitions that have been going on. You guys have made a lot of news with the Players' Tribune and fan-sided and things like that. But um, on the day that we're taping, we're both in our houses. We're locked up. There is no sports really to speak of. Um, what do you make of what's, what's going on in our world, the content world, and the world itself right now? Oh, man, that's a, that's a pretty loaded question. Um, you know, I think that there's, there's the, there's the personal elements to it and the professional elements, I would say on a, on a personal front. I mean, it's the, you know, the health and well-being of our families and our, our friends and obviously the people we work with and everyone we know is really important and making sure that we, we take care of that first and foremost on the professional side of things. Um, you know, clearly the market is, is it going to, is experiencing a slowdown, um, a slowdown that's a result of, the impact of no live sports being on television, of, you know, uh, the Olympics getting canceling, of NBA finals getting postponed, of the looming information around NFL season. And I think as a, as a sports publisher, not just around U.S. sports, but soccer globally and otherwise, I think we've had to take a, I wouldn't say a, a bit of a pause. We've also had to think about where are the areas that we can contribute content that would be really interesting 
uplift our users in, in some way, shape, or form, hopefully is an uplifting message. Um, a lot of the stuff we're doing with the Players Tribune now focused around athletes and their daily routines, some of the cabin fever they're experiencing, you know, letters to their, to their cities, and even, you know, uh, philanthropic opportunities for the company, I think, are all the things that we're looking at right now. But it's, a, it's an opportunity to get focused. It's an opportunity to kind of think outside the box. And hopefully some of the stuff we've been putting out lately is a, is a reflection of just those things. Yeah, the Players' Tribune seems like a, a perfect avenue for the players to have their voices heard while they're waiting for their seasons to resume, which hopefully one of these days will be soon. For the other traditional type of content providers, what do you, I know this is early in the process, but but what successes have you had trying to fill the void in the content space? Well, I think we've we've been a little bit lucky that there was this thing called uh, NFL Free Agency uh, yeah. that just happened. And, uh, you know, guys like Tom Brady moving to other teams, a number of big free agent wide receivers and various others. So there still is a ton to cover, despite the fact that the live sports doesn't exist today. Um, that being said, um, some of that around free agency and otherwise is, is going to die down. We're going to continue to have to find ways to be creative, uh, talk about stories off the field around the Players' Tribune, really dial into what we're doing in esports. Um, you know, there's a looming, you know, there's possible news around the EPL season uh, resuming. So I think that for us, we definitely have our hands full. Um, we have our hands full across 13 languages. You know, don't forget that we don't just do this in U.S. sports, we do this around the world. So for us, it's a, a significant impact to how we go about content creation on an everyday basis, but also with respect to the remote production we were planning. I mean, we were planning on being in lots of different cities around the world doing work for great brands and obviously even some of that's been pushed back. Uh, so I, I think we're continuing to adjust our strategy every single day. We're asking our content team to be as creative as possible during a really challenging time and to really think through the lens of what would they want to be hearing about as a human right now. Um, and as long as we do those things, you know, our business is not about this quarter. It's about the long haul. And I think that if anything, we're, we're bearing down and trying to accomplish whatever we can accomplish in the short term, but also gives us an opportunity to really plan well for, you know, the quarters to come. Um, let's get into the long haul here then a little bit. Um, can you kind of take me back to the start of Minute Media and what its goals were and how you've gotten to the point now where you have quite the portfolio of content providers? Yeah, I think at the start of Minute Media, we definitely were not as aspirational as maybe we are today. Um, you know, at the start of Minute Media, we wanted to build a technology platform that addressed the kind of changing needs of the newsroom. The fact that there was going to be a lot more external content creators than internal, um, the ability to do that across multiple languages and formats, the ability to do it across multiple connection speeds and have an experience work in Brazil in the same fashion as work in the U.S. Uh, so for the initial going to the business was really about building the technology that could enable an entry for us into the publishing space. Um, since then, you know, on the, on the heels of building out what we think is great technology, uh, we launched our first brand in 90 Min. Um, we had a bunch of really good uh, successes and obviously some challenges along the way. It's not easy to build these things from scratch. Uh, we ventured into esports. We moved into the U.S. market and we, we just realized that it's going to be really challenging to build an entirely new brand in the U.S. market. So the lens that we approached the U.S. market was through acquisition. 
Uh, thankfully, the business was healthy enough at that time for us to be looking at ways to grow non-organically. Uh, and since then, we've, we've done a number of acquisitions, most recently with the Players Tribune and FanSided. We've made even more progressive investments into the video infrastructure side of our business and have built a really big video syndication business on the back of it. So I think, if anything, we're probably more aspirational today than we were even eight years ago. Um, you know, today the company employs 400 people um, across lots of different functions in many different offices from London to Manila to Tel Aviv to Sao Paulo to New York, LA, et cetera. Um, but we're just continuing to try to find the right opportunities for us. Um, and I think a big part of about being us is really trying to be practical in our decision-making. We tend to shy away from shiny objects in our business that are kind of pretty pervasive in digital media and really focus on things that can pencil out and businesses and opportunities that for us can be profitable. And if you can approach the business through that lens, hopefully we can continue to grow and drive valuable for us, our employees. And um, Let's go back to the tech here for a moment. Um, what solution were you trying to solve and how did you go about solving it from the tech perspective? Yeah, I think that uh, the solution we tried to solve uh, when we first started is much different than the solution that we solve for today. But, you know, if you ask us off, you know, my partner, our founder and CEO and our founder, um, you know, the, when, when we first got the business going, there was a business called Bleacher Report that was just, uh, just coming up and they were proving that, you know, fan content creators could be really interesting. And the whole vantage point that we wanted to address at that part at that time was building a technology platform that allowed for these fan content creators to build really great stuff with the right layers of curation and editorial management. Um, so for us, it was initially enabling fan content creators around the world to still create and distribute great stuff. Obviously, that that has changed for us over a long period of time. I mean, almost uh, over 80% of our content across all of our brands now is done by full-time employees of the business. Um, but initially it was set up to create tools for fans to become content creators. Obviously the technology has progressed a lot over the years. I mean, if I were giving you the, uh, the corollary, I mean, if you're a publishing business today, you probably run your site on, on WordPress or Drupal. You may have, chart beat for analytics around what's trending, use different types of SEO technologies, maybe JW or Brightcove as your video solution, social flow for social analytics, lots of different distribution tools and experiences for Apple News and Flipboard and various others. If you really take our technology and make it really simple, it's all of those on a single platform um, from the creation of the written words to the creation of video to distribution across every possible channel. Uh, through a single dashboard that allows both the content people, but also our distribution teams to really ride behind. So it was, it's an efficiency opportunity for businesses that I think from our standpoint, you shouldn't have to work with 15 different technology vendors. Uh, and in our, in our business, we, we only have to work with one and, and that's us. Um, did it pivot to you wanted to have the portfolio of acquisitions like Players Tribune? I guess what I'm asking is initially, did you look at the business as we're going to build this tech and we're going to supply it to all these content providers? Yeah, I think that we wanted to build a really strong foundation uh, and build a platform that 
hopefully over time could support multiple content businesses. Um, we definitely didn't think that we'd be sitting here, you know, eight years later with as many brands and opportunities as we have today. But we thought if we got the plumbing right, and, it, you know, I think that uh, having been part of a number of startups before in the past, I think you have the right product and you have the right investors, you pretty much can make anything happen. Uh, so from our standpoint, that's how we've approached the business. It was getting the product right, getting the technology foundation. And then as we kind of look at M&A opportunities, a big expense for publishing businesses, technology side, and a lot of them can't afford to make that capital expense, that R&D investment. And we, we have a 100-person team in Tel Aviv with probably 70-plus people in R&D. Right? And most publishing business cannot afford to make that type of investment. But if we can shoulder that investment, and if we can provide that value to both our brands and to our BB partners, we think that maybe uh, the nice secondary revenue stream that publishing businesses need to continue to, th- to continue to thrive. So let's get into um, Players Tribune. Um, how, why were they attractive to you, and and how did that relationship end up working out? Yeah. So uh, again, still relatively still relatively new uh, because uh, the transaction only closed towards the tail end of last year. But I guess having spent the last 20 years in sports, the, you know, the, the sports landscape continues to change. You know, rights are all over the, rights are all over the place. Uh, and I think the two most valuable forms of intellectual property in sports are definitely live rights being number one and athletes, you know, being number two. Uh, and we definitely never wanted to be a competitor in, in the acquisition of live rights. It's not our business. It's not an area we wanted to move into. So we knew in order to really develop significant IP, IP that we could leverage in the U.S. for both brands, consumers, and distribution partners, we had to make a statement. Um, and what Players Should Be has built over the years is really powerful. Uh, the ability to tell stories through that first-person narrative, to make the superhuman human. And in speaking with Derek and the investors and, and the management team over there, when they were considering their options towards the middle of last year, it seemed like the two pieces could fit really well together. But not just on the basis of what Players Tribune was doing today. We think that Players Tribune is a business that also scales really well internationally. There's no reason to assume that Players Tribune couldn't work more successfully in Brazil, in Europe, places that we already have a really nice foothold. So for us, the appeal was they built a tremendous brand that we could put our U.S. business behind. They built a business that has global international scaling opportunities. Uh, and we also thought that there was significant ways for us to grow in leveraging our technology and our existing infrastructure. So when opportunities like that come up, we we tend to lean in and we were lucky enough to complete the deal towards the tail end of last year. Um, and, and one other one, I want to ask you about Fansided because you'd mentioned Bleacher Report. Fansided is similar in a lot of ways in the type of content that they produce. What about Fansided was attractive to you at Minute? Well, Fansided is just a bunch of great entrepreneurs. I mean, uh, you know, fan-sided, I, I kind of correlate fan-sided to more of the SB Nation and, you know, what, what they've done over the years, which is building you know, local communities, but putting them all together and being able to generate national scale. I mean, these guys, these guys have been around doing this business from a Kansas City Chiefs blog in the outset to, to multiple sites, to being part of Time Inc., to then being part of Meredith. Uh, they've gone through so many transitions over the last five years. And to see them continue to thrive despite, you know, the, the challenging uh, companies or situations that they were a part of, 
and to see that they've been able to continue to grow despite those challenges. And now we can welcome them, them into our organization. Uh, for us, it was, you know, when we were looking at fan-sided, we didn't think that there was a real potential that we'd be able to pull it off because there's not a lot of publishers in U.S. sports that have the kind of scale and depth that fan-sided do. Uh, so for us, the ability to take athlete-driven content from the Players' Tribune and push it to the local communities that matter to those players and matter and those players matter to those fans, I think creates a really unique intersection for us. Uh, so ultimately the ability to, to kind of connect athletes with fans and the fans that matter to them, either at the team level, league level, college team level, conference level, is something we have the ability to do now with, you know, more scale than a lot of the other folks in the space. Um, you mentioned esports a couple of times. Obviously it's a humongous growth space um, in content in general, um, where are you on esports, and, and what are your goals to work in that space moving forward? Yeah, so you know, before we really even entered US sports, we entered esports because as we were looking at 90 Men, uh, there was a significant corollary to what we were doing with our soccer business and ultimately FIFA. And you know, 90 Men grew to be you know 60, 70, 80 million users a month. And as we started to learn more about those users, when they weren't consuming soccer related content you know video games was a was a big part of their kind of daily motion uh so for us we made an investment into esports i think it was about you know three and a half years ago now uh we launched our esports brand in double tap i will say initially going out to the market you know three years ago in esports it was the slide of the deck that people were the most interested in but didn't necessarily want to put money behind and now i would say it's a it's an area that's been quite pervasive. We've been able to do, to a certain extent, what Players Tribune does in in, in traditional sports, where you're telling the stories through the players themselves. I think most people in esports, unless you're a real esports junkie, you probably can't name more than ten or fifteen players. That's right. Uh, so for us, it was an opportunity to bring those personalities forward and to tell the, the stories about their lives when they're not playing the game, um, where they grew up. You know the the kind of the challenges they've had to overcome, you know, the longevity of their careers is relatively small, you know, what it takes to be able to competitively game at that level. Um, so for us, it's been, um, actually, it's been quite eye-opening for me. It's an area of sports that I never had experience in up until, you know, we got into the esports space, but thankfully we surrounded ourselves with a lot of really smart people that know a lot more about esports than I do. Um, and it's been an area of the business that we've been able to, to flourish significantly partnerships with people like Kia and Mountain Dew and, you know, just a ton of others that have really come forward and kind of given us confidence that our approach is the right one. Um, one more content lane that I, and then I'll, um, I'll finish up with you, but I'm curious about gambling and how you all feel or view considering the type of tech that you're building. There clearly could be opportunity to implement that in many different ways as gambling proliferates around the country. Is that an avenue that Minute will be pursuing? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, as you can imagine, given the fact that we have, you know, successful businesses and audiences and markets outside the U.S., we've already been in the betting space for quite some time. I mean, in, in Europe and in the U.K., whether it's with our partners in those markets, we've already been doing, you know, deep sports betting integrations across 90 men for, for years. So when the U.S. market opened up, we were, I would say, probably more prepared for it than everybody else, having already had those discussions with bookmakers and already understanding the, me the mechanics of those deals and how they should work, how affiliate marketing really works, because at the end of the day, 
while there is some brand awareness dollars, bookmakers want to back into a cost per acquisition KPI. And for them, it's about acquiring customers. Um, that being said, the markets are definitely in different phases of maturity. And I still believe at this point, the U.S. sports betting opportunity is local, not national. Uh, so for us, when we kind of look at fan-sided in particular, there should be a tremendous opportunity with fan-sided around the local market jurisdictions that they have and the team coverage they have in Chicago or New Jersey or otherwise, but also the ability to leverage the Players' Tribune to create ambassadors for those brands in those local markets. And so I think for us, we have a specific strategy geared towards sports betting from a technical and product perspective, from a content perspective, but I think you should expect over the course of at least the next 12 to 18 months for our sports betting strategy to be very local, local in the states that are already regulated, rather than, you know, wasting opportunities right now around data collection in states that may not come online for three to five years from now. Okay, I'll let you go with this. Um, you know, it wasn't that long ago that I was sitting at ESPN and we would sit there and look at companies like yours and Bleacher Report and all these others that you named and go, you know, why aren't we nimble enough to do this? And clearly the content space has changed dramatically, mainly through the tech and a lot of it that you built. Five, 10 years from now, I know this is a vague question. What does watching content in the sports space look like for a fan? Oh my goodness. Uh, another, that that's one I'm, uh, you know, so gosh, if I'm thinking, uh, I don't know that, I still think that there's a significant opportunity for television. Right? I mean, TV is not going away, but I do think you're looking at a, a different type of cable opportunity. You are looking at much different products around the mini bundle than you're seeing today in today's market. I think that you're going to see could be less, but it could be also more rights proliferation. I think the leagues are getting smarter about their own DDC channels. Um, but I think that, you know, to be fair, uh, I really think that sports betting is going to probably play the biggest role in the changes that we're all going to experience in sports over the next 10 years. I mean, if you really think about it just in sheer, sheer numbers, there's not going to be another $500 billion business in sports that is going to grow from scratch in the U.S. in the next 10 years other than sports betting. So despite all the changes around live viewership and how you watch a game or what you do, the biggest impact and the biggest change that we're all going to experience as sports rights holders, sports marketers, sports consumers is going to be the influx of sports betting into the U.S. market. It presents far and away the biggest opportunity. And I think you're going to see experiences change as a result of it. You're going to see consumer habits change. And uh, ultimately, I think it's also going to drive a ton of value for the leagues and all the companies that sit around them. Rich Routman is the president of Minute Media. I'd love to catch up with you in five years and see if you're right. Thank you so much for doing this today, Rich. All right, man. Nice talking to you. Stay safe and healthy and uh, look forward to talking to you again soon. Up next, there is an opportunity for those who have some kind of sports content to draw in newcomers. Alex Silverman from Morning Consult polled how to cure the lack of sports boredom. This is the Future Sport Podcast. Future Sport Podcast is brought to you by 3 Advance. So let's take a moment to thank our friends at 3 Advance. These guys are ranked one of the nation's top app developers. 
Their user experience and cloud expertise has helped grow a bunch of sports tech startups, including Team Builder, T-Box Tour, and In-Game Fantasy. So if you're looking for a development partner to bring your future sport tech to life, look these guys up. Go to 3advance.com. They're the team to make it happen, and advance you will. That's the number 3advance.com, and tell them Future Sports sent you. So we're waiting for live sports to come back. Don't know when that's going to happen. What are we going to watch? A lot of content companies are trying to figure that out right now. They're trying to be creative what they're, with what their offerings are and what they can provide. Alex Silverman wrote about this for Morning Consult, which is a data intelligence company. Hey, Alex, how are you? Hey, Bram, doing well. So what do fans want to see? Well, we did some polling um, about a week into the, uh, the sports shutdown about um, the sort of content that that fans are interested in as as alternatives to live sports um ranging from you know things like sports documentaries which were uh fairly popular um and you know there's a decent amount of interest in as a replacement programming for live sports uh to you know obscure sports which uh espn you know has tried with their ocho uh promotion uh you know turning espn2 into uh, ESPN Ocho and showing a day's worth of obscure sports. Those didn't poll uh, quite as well. Um, so the really interesting one, I think, is esports, which which didn't poll particularly well. Um, but you know, perhaps one of the few bright spots from you know the last couple of weeks in sports was NASCAR's esports competition, um, uh, which drew 900,000 viewers on Fox Sports 1. Um, so the polling that, you know, there, I guess, differs from, from what we're seeing, um, you know, in real life. But, you know, in a nutshell, our polling, you know, shows that archival stuff, documentaries, classic games, uh, seem to be, you know, the most popular content that people are interested in. You know, it is interesting because we've talked to a lot of esports companies um, that are talking about their particular version of it, which is League of Legends and games and that type of stuff. And let's put aside what NASCAR did and what some other um, local regionals are doing with trying to play out traditional games in the gaming method. Um, I'm a bit surprised that that esports hasn't done that transition yet because the opportunity clearly is there. These these competitions are going to continue, and they have new platforms to potentially be profiled. But it sounds like the traditional sportsman isn't quite ready for that opportunity yet. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, you know, I think that there's, uh, you know, I think with this with this NASCAR thing in particular, it really shows that there is potential interest for you know, traditional sports fans in esports, but I think it, you know, it might not be those, um, you know, those esports that are popular among, you know, the hardcore gamer set. Um, you know, like you said, your League of Legends, your Overwatch, um, you know, your uh, Counter Strike, etc. But when you sort of take the, you know, the sports that we know and love, and you know, you know, um, present them. Uh, virtually, there there is potential, I think, for more interest. It's, it's more accessible, maybe, for traditional sports fans. Um, in addition to NASCAR, you've seen, you know, NBC Sports Washington, the regional sports network for the Wizards and Capitals, doing uh, some simulations of the games that those teams uh, would be playing right now uh, if if the seasons hadn't been suspended. Um, so you're seeing 
sports leagues, um, traditional sports properties experiment with esports a bit. So, and, um, you know, to some level of success so far. What do you expect to see more of? Um, is it going to be documentaries? Are we going to see a lot of creativity around great games that people have rights to, whether it's CBS, NBC, ESPN? What's your expectation now that we've had a couple of weeks into this without live sports? Um, well, I think in terms of classic games, um, every virtually every major sports property at this point has taken their um, their archival, uh, you know, their libraries and and open them up uh, free of charge to to fans just to keep fans engaged with the sport and keep the sport uh, top of mind. In terms of media companies and you know linear linear television networks in particular, they've um, started to do some interesting things with you know sort of themed presentations of of classic games. Um, yeah, I think ESPN's doing um, you know a night of you know, classic home run derbies. They did some classic WrestleManias. Um, Emmer is doing, you know, classic opening days around, uh, you know, what would have been opening day, uh, you know, this past Thursday. Um, so you're seeing, you're seeing a lot of that. I think, um, you know, I think you're seeing most of what um, can be done more or less with the, with the classic games. Um, in terms of documentaries, uh, you know, ESPN has been, I think, leveraging their, uh, their library of 30 for 30s as much as they can, especially as a, as a, you know, promotional slash sales tool for their ESPN plus streaming service, which, you know, in recent months, they've, they've spent so much on live rights to sort of bolster that service and make it a must have for sports fans. All of a sudden you don't have live sports to sell it with, but you can sell the, uh, you know, complete collection of 30 for 30, which would cost you, you know, quite a bit of, quite a bit of money to buy on uh, DVD. Um, so that's, a, a something that they've used to try and, um, sell that, sell that service. Um, and then I, I think, um, you know, in our polling, we did see some interest in, um, you know, people following the, the sports news in terms of, um, you know, how coronavirus is, is, is impacting the sports world. Um, what, uh, what timetable might look like for, you know, getting sports back. So I think there's, you know, a certain level of, of interest in that. I just don't know that, um, you know, it's people necessarily sitting down to, to watch it, a whole episode of, um, you know, a sports center or a studio, a sports studio news show to, to get that information uh, as much as, you know, maybe doing it online. I think we're all trying to figure it out. And I think we all have the same goal. Let's just get this stuff back, hopefully in the near future. Alex Silverman from Morning Consult. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks so much, Bram. Appreciate it. That will do it for us this week. As always, the future is now. This is the Future Sport Podcast. I'm Bram Weinstein. The Future Sport Podcast is brought to you by 3Advance, developers of sports tech apps that are AI-powered and UX-focused. So if you're looking to create some apps for your startup or your sports biz calls for some artificial or business intelligence, you should check out 3Advance. They're incredible. Go to 3Advance.com. That's the number 3Advance.com.